Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. If you have your Bibles tonight, invite your attention to the Word of God to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 9. I almost forgot, but I, I do need to address uh, a thing or two here, and uh, hopefully won't put a damper on anything. <laughs> Just like the oxygen got sucked out of the building, but... Uh, you know, we're thankful for the children that God has given us in the church. Everybody say amen to that. We're thankful for all the children. But it is our duty to teach children as parents and as elders here in the church. What I mean by that is, is there's people here that if you're not aware of it, they can help you in of something going on. They can, uh, in, in a right way, in a right spirit, they can help you with it. Praise God. And they don't mean anything bad by doing that, and you shouldn't take offense to it. And uh, matter of fact, there's been some occasions where, as a pastor, I've needed somebody to step in and help me a little bit. Praise the Lord. But um, let's, let's be mindful of the fact, and I particularly see this on Wednesday night. I know that Sunday we're... Uh, maybe a little bit more uh, demonstrative with our worship, and it's not as noticeable. But when teaching the Word of God and such on Wednesday night, I've noticed a good many distractions, and many of you are aware of some of those and have seen them. I'm asking our ushers to take liberty and you not to get aggravated because they're only doing it at my bidding to take their liberty in correcting some of those situations if they're out of hand or if somebody's going back and forth in and out too often too much. And we understand there's extenuating circumstances. I certainly don't want you to feel like you've got to stay in here if the, if the baby just won't quit crying or, or what have you. But I can tell you a little secret that my mother used on me, and it seemed to work. And uh, I learned how to, to sit in church, as many of you have. And that is, if you'll make it more uncomfortable for them out there, amen, if they think this is going to be a party when you go out, then they're going to make sure they get to go out. But if you make it more uncomfortable for them out there than it is in here, they'll want to stay in here. And we want them to, to learn how to appreciate and respect the house of God. Now, I understand. I have... Uh, grandkids that, that go to church here and then I've got uh, some that only visit and um, sometimes they can be the most rowdy ones I understand all that so we're not we're not trying to be impatient here or in, intolerant here but you know what we all got good sense hopefully praise God if you don't we'll help you with it uh, amen we'll be sure and help you with it and uh, so don't be offended if you get called out, if it's just uh, because you've been forewarned. Because, man, this, some of this, it just gets downright distracting, folks. 
And it's uh, disrespectful. It's disrespectful, first of all, to God, his word, and then disrespectful to others that are in the congregation that are trying to receive something from it. Amen? And so let's be mindful of those things. Are we all in a good mood still? Amen. Well, it's about 50%. I guess that's, that's good. Praise God. Mark chapter number 9 and verse 17. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him and fell. He fell on the ground and waddled, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came upon him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. I want you to look back at verse 24, and straight, straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears. In other words, he was very sincere. He was saying this with feeling. He, he was in, in a desperate situation. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And I realize we've heard preaching on this story and teaching on this story before, and I really do feel to preach more so than teach tonight. But I, I want to preach from this subject, not perfect, but possible. Not perfect, but possible. Praise the Lord. Let's lift up our voices to Him again, and let's pray that the Lord would help us here tonight. We really do need the help of the Holy Ghost. Jesus, I'm asking you to speak through us tonight. I pray, God, that you would anoint each and every person in this congregation as they reach towards you and they exercise the faith that they have. I pray that you'd respond to that and help us with that. And I ask you, God, to 
give us revelation through your word tonight of what moves you and what you will respond to if we'll be obedient to your word. I thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And could the church say amen. You can be seated. Not perfect, but possible. You, you've probably heard the phrase from time to time. We often use it, and we know that it really does not exist, but we still use this phrase because we use it really when we're wanting the answer to a hypothetical question. We'll say something like, what would you do about this in a perfect world? And by saying a perfect world, we mean if the circumstances are exactly like I'm presenting them to you, what would be your response or what would be your reaction to it? Of course, this is a totally hypothetical situation, hypothetical phrase, and we all know that we're not living in a perfect world. When Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden, the perfect world that existed and that had been created for them at that very moment changed totally altogether. And from that moment until this, we are living in an imperfect world. And that perfect world ceased to exist. So we acknowledge that we live in an imperfect environment, an imperfect world. The fact is we are imperfect people. Can you say amen to that? And the truth is, is that we will probably never see true perfection until we get to heaven, until we look upon Jesus and until we get glorified bodies. So I preach to people tonight that are not perfect and that are living in circumstances and environments and situations that are not perfect perfect. Our job situation may not be perfect. Our family dynamics may not be perfect. Uh, your health may not be perfect. You may not have a perfect bill of health. Your finances may not be perfect, and you could go on and on filling in the blanks of, of all the situations and scenarios in our lives that are imperfect, yet with all of these flaws that we live with and we exist with, we do not stop pressing forward, but we continue to forge onward, and we do not cower to our circumstances as children of God, and we certainly do not allow uh, circumstances of our lives to defeat us. And even though things may not be perfect, we still strive to receive the maximum results that we can receive in God. And how many knows that the potentials in God are limitless and that there's many promises in the Word of God that can be fulfilled if we'll just press forward even in perfect situations existing. And we learn through the Word of God that uh, not only through the Word of God, but by our own experiences and walking with God, that just because things are not perfect does not mean that they are not possible. 
if things had to be perfect to be possible, then what would be possible? Possibilities would never really come or never be fulfilled in our life. But possibilities are obtainable even in the presence of imperfections. Someone coined the phrase, and I know you've probably heard it, don't let the perfect be the enemy to the good. Don't let the perfect be the enemy to the good. What they are really saying is this, don't spend your life waiting for a perfect circumstance, a perfect scenario, a perfect situation before you do good. You can do good while you're waiting on something better to come. You can do good while you're waiting on some better situation and scenario to come your way. Because if you just sit back and wait for things to get perfect and everything to be just right before you move out and do or attempt something in God, chances are you'll never do it. Chances are you'll never respond. Chances are you'll never act and you'll never, you'll never grow in the Lord. So possibility uh, doesn't respond to perfection, but it does, in my estimation, respond to faith. And you don't have to have a perfect situation or even have perfect faith to get God's response. Amen. Now, I know uh, when I talk about things like that, not having perfect faith, we all understand the deal about not having perfect circumstances, but not having perfect faith. Sometimes we feel like we're getting on shaky ground. But you look in the Word of God, we see examples of this over and over again. You look at a lady by the name of Rahab. She didn't have a perfect past nor did she really have that much of a relationship, per se, with God. She was only going on what she heard, but her faith caused God to save her and rescue her from the destruction of Jericho. This was an imperfect person, to be sure, that, that probably did not have perfect faith, and maybe this was the first time she had ever exercised any faith in God, but she did, and there is a tremendous story that we read about in the Word of the Lord, how that God saved her. And I believe he can still respond to a person's faith today in like manner that may not be perfect, but it's still possible. In spite of imperfect situations and circumstances, you can still possess faith. David was not a perfect match for Goliath. Matter of fact, there was probably others among the camp of the army of the Israelites that would have been more fitting to go out on the battlefield and to do battle against Goliath or to accept the challenge that was being issued by Goliath. But David did have something that the rest of those fellows didn't possess. He had faith, and victory was possible because of that faith. Hannah in 1 Samuel didn't have a perfect biological makeup to bear children, but it became possible because of her faith and persistent prayer and desire in God. How many knows that God responds to that kind of persistent faith 
that says, God, I'm not just going to take no for an answer. I'm not just going to settle for whatever. But I am going to continue to pursue and I'm hungry for more of you and I need you to move in my life. And she did bear a son and we had the books of First and Second Samuel and the record of what a great prophet that Samuel was because of this lady that continued to be persistent with her faith. Wasn't perfect situation, but it became possible. Gideon did not have a perfect army. I mean, it doesn't take much reason to look into that story and see that when they are being challenged with an army that was numbered with the sands of the sea, they said when they looked down there, it looked like ants crawling around on an anthill. And, and when he said, you know, how am I going to possibly stand up to this challenge that the enemy is presenting, God said, I don't want you to be fearful. I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to go in courage. And you ask everybody that's willing to join your army. And he had to feel pretty good when 32,000 did so. But then God said, I want you to ask them, any that are fearful and afraid, after you've told them what we're planning to do and that we're going to take on the challenge that is challenging Israel, you tell them that are fearful and afraid to go home. And you talk about a major church split. That was a big deal. As he was left standing there with 10,000. And then God said, I'm not through whittling on this bunch. He said, I want you to take the remaining and go down to the water brook and all those that stick their head in the water and lap it. He said, uh, that's not the ones you need, but those that cup it in their hands and lap it like a dog, that's the ones that you can use. And lo and behold, there was only 300 left after it was all said and done. That's not a perfect situation. And reason would tell you this, that this was probably not the smartest guys in the bunch. Because if they had been smart, they'd have looked at the odds and said, you know what, it doesn't look like that this is even a possibility. This doesn't look like uh, that there's any way, no matter what kind of strategy, no matter what kind of warfare we wage, no matter what kind of weapons that we use, that we could possibly defeat this army that is so numbered against us. But yet their faith in God took an unperfect situation and made it possible and they obtained victory. Can somebody say praise the Lord? The Syrophoenician woman did not have a perfect nationality uh, to be able to get deliverance at that time for her daughter. And it became possible because of her faith, somebody that was outside the covenant, somebody that was not of the household of faith, had enough faith to make her way in to the presence of the Lord, and she was able to obtain deliverance on the behalf of her daughter. Also, the widow, uh, she did not have a perfect judge. Matter of fact, he was a shady, hard-driven man that feared neither God nor man, the Scripture says. But because of her importunity and her faith, this imperfect situation, she did end up with a righteous judgment. And it did fall in her favor because of her faith. What about the lady with the issue of blood? 
She did not have perfect doctors and medical treatment. She had went to all of them, and the Bible says that after seeing them all or everyone that she could go through, she had spent all of her money and was nothing better but rather grew worse. You talk about an imperfect situation, but healing was possible because of her faith and her willingness to exercise faith. So perfection is not the prerequisite for possibility. I will say that again. We know that perfection is not the prerequisite for possibility. Faith is a prerequisite to get God's power activated, to get God to move in your life, to see prayers answered, to see the miraculous, to see God bring revival, to see God move in your situations. Amen. And many of you are sitting here tonight, and you must admit that on looking at the situations and circumstances that are in your life, there's some challenges, there's some things that are going on, there's some scenarios that are less than perfect, amen, but it's still possible, I want to remind you, that God is able to move and work and give you a miracle, even in that impossible, seemingly to us, in our humanity situation. Oh, come on, let's clap our hands and give praise to the Lord. Now, I've talked about and explained that we are all imperfect people and we live among imperfect people. And I've talked about imperfect circumstances and situations that exist in most anybody's life, how that they cannot stop possibility. But... I know that people are asking, well, what, what about imperfect faith? Because the struggle of a lot of people is that they feel that their faith is flawed. Yeah, maybe, maybe they've prayed and they had a need or a situation that they asked God to work in and Maybe they prayed about it not one time but many times and maybe faithfully brought this petition before the Lord and they did not receive the desired result or the desired answer that they prayed for. Now, I want to take just a moment here and explain something and that is that I believe that there is a blessing called unanswered prayer sometimes. Because, again, we being finite and not being able to see all that God sees. The Bible said in the book of Isaiah, I think it's the 46th chapter, it says that he declares the end from the beginning. So he's able to see things on down the trail that you might not be able to see. And so don't always take a no as being outside the will of God or even what's best for you. Amen? may not be what you want immediately, may not be what you want right now, and you may not even see how it could possibly not be the will of God. But just hold on and stay faithful and keep walking with God, and you may see later on in hindsight how that God was working all along, how that God had your best interest in mind all the while. Amen. Now, I know uh, this is probably an imperfect illustration but uh, you can get the point through this, and it, it'd be lighthearted enough. It won't, it won't directly pinpoint any one situation. But 
But uh, a lot of times, young people, they get to praying when they lay eyes on somebody of the opposite sex that they, they got interest in. And they said, this is it. And I mean, you know, this is what I've been looking for. They're smitten from head to toe. And uh, they just feel like, man, this is the perfect situation. There's no way this could not be the will of God. They're all of 15. And they got it all figured out that this is the will of God for my life. And they start praying about that. And God, I know this is your will. And I know this is what you want from me. And how heartbroken sometimes they can be when that doesn't work out. But 20 years down the road, or maybe even a whole lot less than that, they look and maybe they run across that person or that individual and they're able to see, you know what? God had my best interest. He had my back on this. Go ahead and laugh. You know, you know you've probably been in some of those situations. Amen. That, that uh, you know what? Looking back now, I'm glad God didn't answer that prayer. I'm glad God worked this out. Amen. She doesn't quite look like, or he doesn't quite look like that knight in shining armor that he looked like when I first met him. Praise God. And you know, time has a way of changing people. Praise the Lord. And uh, so anyway, uh, we, we've got to trust God. Also, the Bible talks about us asking for things in God amiss or outside of his will. We've got to make sure that when we pray, we're praying according to the will of God. That we're praying according to His Word. Amen. We cannot be asking Him for things that are outside of His Word and expecting Him. The Bible said this is already forever settled. God's not going to con- contradict His Word to answer your prayers. Praise the Lord. So we, we can't get uh, in a mode of blaming God or... or, or uh, Cursing God or, or in any wise allowing that to affect our faith. But we need to be mature enough to analyze our prayers and say, you know what? Is this, is this line up to the Word of God? Does this fall into the plan of God for my life? And so we, we understand that, that some prayers... Uh, and we're not receiving the answer or the desired result does not mean that God did not hear us. And it may not mean that God didn't have our best interest in mind. I believe if we're walking with Him for children of God, just like He said, you being evil, going to do the best you can do for your children, how much more would I, who is your heavenly Father, do for you? Praise the Lord. God is going to take care of His sons and daughters. God is going to work things out in your best interest. Amen. You parents know what it is to tell your children something, uh, tell them no in something that they really want and they think is what's best for them. They think it'd be good for them to be able to have, uh, you know, a big old 250cc motorcycle when they're 10 years old. But you know because you had one. And you knew and you can remember about all things you did and how God was so gracious to you that you didn't kill yourself on it. And you're thinking, I'm not going to allow that to happen to my kids because I love them. And so God knows what is in best interest of us. Amen. And so we have to trust God. And that is an element that sometimes 
we struggle with and we we are impatient with and and we feel like God is is uh, limiting us in some ways and a lot of people fall out with God in this area because they're unwilling to trust God and also during this time the devil can slip in and convince people see there there's something wrong with your faith if your faith wasn't faulty if your faith if there wasn't something wrong with it, if you if you had more faith, if you had greater faith, if you had a certain level of faith, maybe they look around somebody else and compare themselves, which the Bible said is not wise. They compare themselves and said, if I had brother so-and-so's faith, or they think about their favorite preacher, if I had their faith, or they think about some person that they have seen that has had many prayers answered and is blessed in that area. And they say, well, if I only had that person's faith, there's something wrong with me. You see, the devil knows he cannot convince you that your God isn't great enough because you've already seen him work for others. You've already seen in the past what he's able to do. But he can convince people that your faith isn't great enough. If he can't convince you that your God's not great enough, he'll try to convince you that the problem is with you and your faith and try to tell you that your faith is not great enough. And if you had more faith, greater level of faith, then you would be able to obtain things in God. But I I read this book and I only find two people in this entire book, the Bible, that had what was termed or complimented as great faith. The centurion who approached the Lord on behalf of his servant and the Lord said, where is he? I'll go to him and I'll, I'll minister to him. I'll heal him. And the centurion looked at the Lord and said, there's no need for you to go to my house. He said, I understand authority. He said, I'm a man of authority. I've got people under me and I'm also a person that's in authority. Are under authority, I have people over me. So you don't have to come to my house. He said, all you got to do is speak the word, and I believe it's going to be done. And the Lord was impressed by that, and he said, great faith. He said, I haven't seen this anywhere else. You've got great faith. And then the Syrophoenician, which I've already, the Syrophoenician woman, which I've already uh, talked about here tonight, when, when, the Lord looked at her and said, I've came, he said, I've come for, for Israel. And he said, the children's bread is not meant to be given to the dogs. And she responded, instead of being offended, she responded by saying, but yes, the dogs get the crumbs which fall from the children's table. And he was so taken aback by that and impressed by that, that he said, I haven't found this kind of faith, this great of faith. No, not in Israel. However, There is more. These were the only two people that we read about having great faith and their faith being complimented as being great. But I think all of us acknowledge that there's more than two miracles in the Bible. And there's more miracles than what pertain to these two individuals. Amen. But there's hundreds of miracles that have taken place. And the Bible says this, that the the world couldn't contain the books if they were all written of the miracles that have taken place and the Lord performed. These are just highlights. These are just a few things that have been given to us 
So we know that there was a whole lot of miracles that transpired and that took place without there being great faith involved. Without there being powerful faith or a certain level of faith involved. You see, Satan doesn't want us to engage the faith that we have. He doesn't want us to employ the measure of faith that God has given to us all. He convinces you that you must have a certain level or a certain greatness in your faith or you have to reach to a certain height and, and have a certain, a certain endowment of faith to be able or greatness in faith to be able to see a miracle. But the only way for your faith to increase and I believe that everybody ought to be pursuing, and I even pray, and I, I know that many of you probably pray that the Lord would increase your faith. I'm not against that. I'm not preaching against that. I'm not saying that your faith ought to stay at the level that it is or not grow because we see Scripture to the contrary of that. But what I am telling you, your faith cannot increase until you employ what you've got. Until you exercise what you've got. Until you use what you've got. Until you engage what you've got. Your faith will never increase. Bodybuilders, one of which I'm not, um, are athletes of any kind, really. They, they lift weights and employ the strength that they have to increase their strength. Over time, they may start out lifting one particular weight and they do that repetitiously. And then, hopefully, in a normal situation, uh, body being as it is, over a period of time, they increase the weight and their body responds accordingly. And it's so used to what used to be difficult becomes easy, and so they increase it and, and, and keep increasing it, and their strength increases. I'm going to tell you, your faith is much like that. Amen. You, you employ the faith that you have, the measure of faith that God has given to you. You put it to the test, and then you have the testimony of what God has done for you. It gives you greater confidence to step out and believe God for future situations and future needs and whatever you may be dealing with in the present. But if you recall and you listen to the voice of the enemy that tells you that your faith is faulty, that you don't have enough faith, that it's not great enough, and you refuse to use the measure of faith that has been given to you, then you'll never see anymore. You'll never experience anymore. And the fact is you'll be cheated out of a whole lot of possibilities in your life and potentials in your life because you simply didn't exercise what God gave you. That's why, uh, you know, and I know some of this is genetics and that kind of thing, and I'm not trying to get into all of that. And, and then I know a lot of people use whatever they do, the enhancement things that they, they use. But, but aside from all of that, I mean, two eight-pound babies born, one doesn't exercise their muscles or go to the gym and work out and one does and there's there's a physical difference that takes place there over time and so it is with the saint of god we're all born by the water and the spirit of the kingdom of god 
but it's up to us to walk by faith, employ our faith. When the trial comes, we can't recall and say, oh, I, 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 can't, I can't make it through. I just have to accept things as they are. I have to just get by and try to survive and exist. Amen. You can do that if you choose to, but the potential and the possibility is for you to see greater things in God, for you to obtain greater things in God. What we need to do is step up and employ what God has given to us all. Hallelujah. As a church, we need to do that. Do you think God is a respecter of locations or peoples or churches or any of that? I don't believe that a bit. Amen. But when we follow through, when we employ our faith, when we get out there on the ragged edge sometimes of faith and say, you know what? I'm going to press myself a little further today. I'm going to go beyond what I've been doing and what I've been used to and what is easy for me. I want God to do greater things, so I'm going to start asking Him. And that takes courage sometimes because when we step out and we put ourselves out, then, amen, we set our ourselves up in our own in our own minds for disappointment and we try to protect ourselves from it sometimes but what God really wants us to do is you don't worry about all of that you step out on faith you step out on my word you employ and engage the faith that you've got and I'll make sure that you don't fail I'll make sure that the work is done it's not up to you to do it in your flesh anyway none of us can get much done within the strength of our own arm of the flesh None of us can get much done just trying to do it on our own. We can't save anybody. We can't heal anybody. Come on now. I've been praying for the sick for uh, almost 25 years of full-time ministry. And I've seen some wonderful miracles. But you know what? I haven't healed one person. Not one. So if I don't take credit for the ones that get healed... then I don't have to feel disappointed and I don't have to take credit or believe that there's something wrong with me if they don't, for some reason, get healed. Amen? Praise God. Because it's God's work. And He's going to use my faith to get done what He is able to do, amen, without me. But he chooses to use my faith. And it's my faith that sometimes triggers his, his power and activates his healing virtue in the lives of people. And, and also, it's, of course, their faith or faith being there. Praise God. But we, the point is, we need to put our faith into action and let God do what only he can do. Oh, come on now. We ought to give some praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. But he, but he comes along and tries to pound it in your mind. He wants you to focus on your flaws. And I'm not saying you shouldn't work on flaws and try to fix them. But he tries to get you focused on all of that and make you handicapped so that you never see the full possibilities in God. Praise the Lord. We've got to realize that this is God's work. Amen. This is God's work. 
Praise the Lord. Revival, that's God's work. And that doesn't mean we can sit on our haunches. That doesn't mean we can sit back on laurels and, and just not do anything. I, I, if you believe that, you hadn't listened to me preach much. We got to do what we can do. But if there's any credit, if there be any glory, if there be any praise, think on these things. It's going to be God that gets the work done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So in our text, Jesus is coming down from the Mount Transfiguration. And this has been a glorious thing, of course, that has taken place there. And he comes down. Now, there was certain of the disciples that wanted to stay there, those that were with him on this journey. They wanted to stay there. Matter of fact, they wanted to build a tabernacle of him and Elijah and Moses. And, of course, he dismissed that idea and said, we've got to go back down to where those people are. And the Bible said they were met with a great multitude of people that were down there at the base of the mountain. And among this multitude, as I read to you, was this man who had a son that had a spirit upon him that was a very horrible thing, and he had had it for a long time. And I suppose that this was this man's last strand of hope. He'd already been uh, to the disciples. He'd already tried everything he knew possibly to get it done. And this was his last, I mean, this is getting to the point. It's, it's out of his hands. He don't know what else to do. This has gone so far. And this is his last strand of hope, perhaps, when he comes into the presence of the Lord. And he, he begins to ask him uh, to minister to this situation. I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But you know, I've known people, ministered to people, and I, I perhaps am even talking to people right now that you're, you're down to your last strand of hope in certain things in your life. That doesn't mean that you're hopeless in every area of your life, but in that situation, you're just about giving up hope. That particular isolated ordeal, you're just about giving up hope that it's ever going to change, ever going to be different. I'm preaching to you tonight. I want to help you tonight. And so um, he comes to the Lord, and there's a few things that I note here in this story. Jesus, first of all, asked him how long has he had this condition. And he said, of a child. Now I'm going to tell you that's a significant, that's a significant part of this story. He's had this for a long time, in other words. There's a difference in having a, a, you know, a couple of days of trial or feeling the blues and, and uh, being down about something, disappointed over something, or a little spiritual attack of some sort that doesn't last a long time. There's a lot of difference in that than enduring a long trial or having to endure something for maybe not even weeks, maybe not even months, but maybe years dealing with the same same thing that doesn't go away automatically. It doesn't 
I mean, it's not like you can click your heels and it's going to get better or you can just shake it off. You know, a little fit of of uh, despondency, you can kind of shake it off or you can say, well, it might just be the weather and then the sun comes out and things get better and and you can you can feel like, man, this is... This is all good. I mean, I, I don't even know why I had the blues like that. I don't even know why I was feeling that way. Uh, you know, the tendency of, of feeling that way for a, a temporary amount of time, that's one thing. But I'm talking about a severe trial that that seemingly is there, and it just keeps on, and it's day after day, and it's a constant worry, and it's a constant dread, and it's a constant taxing upon your spirituality and upon uh, your, your, your life. I mean, it's a burden that when you wake up, it's there. When you go to sleep, it's, it's something that hinders you falling off to sleep at night. It, it's, it's there. The effects of it, uh, long trials, and the impact that a long trial can have can never really be underestimated. I couldn't spend enough time dealing with that. And there's people here that are in this room I feel tonight that know exactly what I'm referring to and what I'm preaching about. You have carried a burden. You have prayed a prayer. You have uh, been going through a certain situation or trial, and it's not something that has been short-lived. It's not been something that has just recently come upon you. It's not something that you just dealt with the last two or three days. But I'm talking about something. It's not that you don't want to change. There's nothing that you don't, uh, that you do desire any more than that. There's nothing that you want any more than there to be a change in that situation. But it seems like with all that you have done and with everything that you can think of to do, and it's not even that you haven't prayed about it and hadn't done everything that you know to do according to God's word about it, but it is still there. This was the facts of this man when he said, of a child. And then he explained something else about what was happening with this boy and the spirit and the depth of it and what it was making this child do. He said... He cast himself into the fire. And then there's been times when we've been by a body of water and he's cast himself into the water. And this devil is endeavoring to kill him. It's endeavoring to destroy him was the word he used. Wants to destroy him. And it's not so much the fire and the water. That's bad. That's about as horrible as it can get. I can't think of anybody being any more possessed of the enemy and controlled by the devil than that. But I want you to think of it about the extremities of the two that is going on with this father. These are two extremities, fire and water. And he said, I'm being pulled between these two extremities. If we're around, it's over here. And he said, then, then I have to rescue him from this over here. And there's these two extremities. And I feel like I've been tossed back and forth, pulled from one extreme to the other. I've got these extremities, uh, this, this trial. It's not just one thing. It's not just one thing I can learn to deal with over here. It's not just one situation that I can kind of isolate over here. But uh, he said there's so much extremes involved. It's affecting 
everything and everywhere we go, I always got to be on the guard. And I'm pulled back and forth. And then I notice that he begins to plead with the Lord. And I want you to note this. He said, have compassion on us and help us two times. The plural is used there. Didn't say, just help him. Didn't say, just help me. But he said, help us. Have compassion on us. I'm going to tell you, when there is somebody close to you or a family member or what have you that is in trouble or experiencing a situation and there's a spiritual attack, it does not just impact them. It impacts you. If there's something out of kelter, there's something not just right there, then then it affects more than just the one individual. It affects us. It's, it's us that needs your compassion. It's us that needs your help, Lord. Amen. This thing has spread from just being an isolated problem with the son, the boy. It had, it had, it had spread over, and it was impacting and affecting and influencing negatively the life of this father also until he was at his wit's end. And so the devil's not only taken down one, but he's taken down two. He's affecting two, and that's his desire. He wants to ravage. He wants to destroy anybody he can get his grubby paws on. Anybody he can impact. Amen. If he can affect a certain individual in in your family and get your faith low, he'll do it. If he can affect a certain situation in your home, get in between you, amen, and somebody else, or maybe he, he affects the wife and the husband is impacted as a result, or vice versa. He affects the husband and the wife is impacted as a result of it, amen. And he he begins to uh, work his weave into destroying that entire family unit. That is his desire. We have to be wise to that and the attacks of the enemy. You got to be sure that you keep an attitude of faith. You got to be sure that you keep the right spirit. Don't allow some situation that the devil is is working in to allow you to get your attitude off kelter or to miss God in some way or to get your spirit in a doubtful frame of mind until God cannot work. Amen. But keep whatever faith that you have. Keep it protected. Keep it active. Engage it and keep believing. Believing that God is going to change this situation. It may be imperfect, but it's still possible. Amen. Praise God. And then Jesus responds to him and said, If thou canst believe all things. He didn't put any limitations. He didn't put any ramifications. He didn't put any... He didn't put any disclaimers. He didn't say all but this. He said all things. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? All things are possible to them that believe. And notice the reply of the man. 
which is really the crux of everything that we're preaching here tonight, but yet there's more to it than just this one statement. He said, Lord, I believe. I believe. I'm employing the belief, the faith. I'm engaging the faith that I have. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I've got faith, albeit it's small. I got faith, but I admit it's not a lot. But maybe you'd take the words of Jesus. He said, if you had the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, be thou hence, and it would be removed into yonder place. Hallelujah. Just that little bit of faith, just that, that little kernel. Just If I was to pass out uh, mustard seeds, if you've ever seen one, if I was to pass them out to everybody, and the majority of us would lose them before we got out of the building. That's just how small it is. And if you lost it, you couldn't find it. Amen. If you, it's hard to hang on to. It's just so small. He said just that little bit, that little seed of faith has the power to move mountains. So don't let the devil get in your face and tell you that you, you need more greater level of faith. You need Your faith has to be at a certain place before you can see God do anything in your life. That is a lie from the pits of hell. You just need to understand, I'm going to use this that I've got, this little seed of faith that I have. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant it where it needs to be planted. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to have faith in God. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, let's worship the Lord. Devils beat some people up in this room. Say, if I just, if I could just bolster up my faith to a certain level, then God would move. But there's something faulty about me. Something bad wrong with my faith, my experience in God. It just isn't what it needs to be, evidently, because I can't get it done. The devil's convinced you of that, and you've taken a seat somewhere and said, Well, I'll just hunker down and accept things as they are. That's a lie got to employ what God gives you. Amen. How many wants to use the faith that God has given to you? Why don't you stand with me right now? Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift up our voices to him right now. Somebody get ready to release the faith that you have. Hallelujah. There's one more thing that I notice about this story. And I want to give us an opportunity to respond to the word tonight. There's one more thing I notice about this story. The Bible said that Jesus called for the young man, called for him to bring him over to where he was. And when he did, and I'm paraphrasing, but you can read it there in the story that he started writhing on the ground, foaming at the mouth. This thing got stirred up. 
this thing started fighting and rending, the Bible says, that young man. It got worse instead of better. It got more difficult, more challenging instead of getting calmed down. Amen. That ought to tell us something. When, when things get more stirred up and things get at a heightened level where the devil's concerned, he fights his hardest when he's fixing to experience his greatest defeats. I said he fights his hardest when he's getting ready to experience defeat. And you need to understand just because it, and a lot of times what we do is say, oh, my God, I'm going to just back off. I, look here, I got to praying about that, and it seems like it just busted loose. It just seems like everything went wrong. Seems like the wheels came off. Seemed like this thing got worse. And we give up and we retreat and then we got to go through the cycle all over again. We get back up to that moment when we're getting ready to have breakthrough and then uh, just all kinds of things start happening. We start wondering, well, this, this can't be the will of God. Look at this. No, that doesn't mean anything but the devil is fixing to experience a great defeat and he's not going to take it sitting down. A church doesn't have revival just because they say, well, we'd like to have one. Amen. You're not going to see your family members saved just because you say, I'd like to see them saved. You're going to have to get in the jaws of the devil and pry them open and say, you know what? Uh, amen. I may come out of here with just a leg and a piece of an ear, but I'm going to fight just like Amos did because this is a soul that's worth fighting for. This is a soul that's worth fighting. If there's anything worth having, you're going to have to fight hell for it. A church that is built, amen, the Bible said is going to be built right there in the face of the gates of hell, and they shall not prevail against it. Amen. It didn't say they wouldn't fight it. It just said they wouldn't get anywhere. They wouldn't be able to defeat it. They wouldn't be able to prevail against it. The devil may be fighting you, but that's good news. Amen. You're on the brink of breakthrough. You're on the brink of it being answered. You're on the brink of something good happening in your life. And so I'm going to ask you to respond tonight. I'm not asking you to come out of emotion that you feel. I'm not asking you to become, I'm not asking you, why would you preach a message like this on Wednesday night? I'll tell you why. It's because sometimes we can get it high and lifted up on Sunday night and swing and bite holes and seal and tile and this is kind of what is expected. But then we walk out and we Oh, that's just drained out of us. I want something to settle down on you and marinate in your spirit until you get it. You realize, hey, I'm going to use what faith I got. Amen. Instead of waiting, instead of hesitating, instead of being intimidated, instead of feeling cheated, instead of blaming, instead of thinking that I've got to be like somebody else and I've got to have more, and I'm just going to use what I got and God's going to give me more as I need it. Praise the Lord. I don't want you to come because you got a perfect situation. I don't want you to come because you feel like your faith is in perfect shape. But I want you to come to employ what faith you got tonight. Is there anybody got a need?